Well, good morning. Good morning. There we go. All right. Yeah. Hey, okay. All right. Yeah, that's what we're doing. All right. Hey, listen, I, I am so excited to be here this morning. Uh, Gabe, I'm ringing just a little bit. If you put me down, thank you, buddy. Uh, I'm so excited to share with you this morning. I'm really excited to be back. Uh, last week we were in South Carolina, uh, and that was great, but man, it's nothing like coming home. Um, listen, as always, it is, it is an honor and it's, it's a privilege to serve here and to be able to do what I do with the people that I do it with. I'm, I'm truly humbled and I'm blessed for this opportunity. And I want to say thank you again to my pastors, whom I love and have the utmost respect for. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank you for showing up today. And, uh, and thank you for tuning in on- online. I-, I really hope that something said this morning can impact your life in a mighty way. So let's get into this, all right? Uh, all right, so this is it. This is the final week, right? God is, is blank, right? Uh, how have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Who's been to another message in the series? Show of hands. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware, this series has been taught by a team of our pastors that we have here in our church. And are we not like blessed yeah. with some incredible communicators? I mean, seriously. Over the past few weeks, we heard from Pastor Amanda with God is frustrating. Now listen, I'm still jealous of that title. I'm so sinking jealous of it. And she set the bar so high and everybody, every one of the pastors have stepped up the plate and really just knocked it out of the park. Pastor Casey uh, followed up with God is the law. Uh, pastor Austin, our children's pastor, had made his debut with God is father. Uh, and last week, Pastor Ben came in hot with God is truth while I was on vacation. I still couldn't get away though. I was sitting in a parking lot uh, of a bike rental place in, uh, with Kramer, uh, the guitarist, and we're live streaming on my phone like, for, uh, for like 40 minutes. Like, I thought worship was over, and I'm like, all right, Amanda, come on, you know, like, we don't need to go. But I mean, like, I'm sitting there, listen, I'm sitting there watching this, I can't, I can't get away. Even when I'm away, I can't get away. I love this place. And shout out to the production team here. These guys are here week in, week out. They're serving to help get our services to a much broader audience, and and they're just doing an incredible job. Uh, But God showed up last week, and you can feel it all the way in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And uh, where's Pastor Ben at? Where you at? There you are. I'm going to make you really uncomfortable right now. You do this to me all the time. But listen, I am am super proud of you, man. I am so proud of your growth. I'm proud of of the man that you've become, and I'm thankful to serve alongside you. And I I appreciate you, man. It's an honor to serve with you. Next week, you get the big man back, but today you got me. I'm Pastor Bob. I am the worship and arts pastor, and I always say, as a worship pastor, my sermons are usually three to five minutes long and in the key of D. So this isn't particularly my comfort zone, but I see this as an opportunity to grow, and I'm thankful for a chance to grow. Amen? Amen. Yeah, amen. God is blank. Now listen, from the very start of this, like from the the very when we started talking about what are we going to do for this series— uh, I knew exactly what I was going to speak on. God is love. But, but, but I couldn't call it that, so hold off on writing that in that title, okay? Uh, I went through a few before I settled on the right one, and I'll let you know which one it is when, when we go to write in, but just don't write it yet. But I couldn't call it God is love because I didn't want to sound like a hippie. And I wanted a cool title like Amanda, okay? So I was kicking around the idea of calling it God is reckless, Right? I mean, it catches your attention, doesn't it? Yeah? Provokes thought. Maybe makes you do a double take, you know? Uh, so, uh, of, of course, I would be referring to the reckless love of God. 
And of course, it would stir up controversy within the church. Not this church, but, but the church as, as a whole. Listen, I have never seen a body that hates the other body parts as much as the church body. I'm, I'm serious. The church loves to argue with itself, and it's astounding and absolutely heartbreaking. Christianity is supposed to be rooted in love, but it's really just a poster child for hatred among its own kind. We have become our own worst enemy. I came across this post on Facebook just the other day by Churchfront. Now, this is a ministry that helps other churches with training and, and media and audio. And they were promoting this uh, class for audio engineers. And I thought to myself, man, that would be great for us. Like, we're, 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 we have some people that are stepping into this and into that role, and it would just be great to have those resources readily available to us. So I thought, let me just, let me just take a look at the comments and see if any other people got anything from this class. And holy cow. But here's the thing. I knew better. Peeps, I stinking knew better, and I did it anyways. It's like, it, it's like the guy who orders a steak at Waffle House and then makes a scene and complains about it because it was terrible. Like, homie, you knew better. You walked into Waffle House today and ordered a steak. Dude, that's on you. It's like walking into a public restroom and seeing a grown man using a urinal with his pants and underwear all the way down to his ankles. Like, dude, you know better. You're not four. Heck, the way underwear is made, you don't even have to unbutton your pants. That's just what, that's what zippers are made for. I mean, just discreetly do your business and get on with it, right? Hashtag first world problems. That's what we're dealing with here. But that day, I was the man at the urinal because I knew better, but I looked at the comments anyway, and it was just a war zone between Christians. Not one comment had anything to do with the product at hand. It was children of God spewing hate onto each other in a very public way. Music shouldn't be in church. It's ungodly. And here's scripture to back it up. Okay, but did you finish reading the paragraph where it says praise them with the timbrel and dance and with the string instruments and the cymbals? You got traditionalists that are calling the modern worshiper, worshiper wannabe rock stars because they don't play Southern gospel like David did in the Bible. <laughs> Everyone knows that King David was one of the OG members of the Gaither vocal band. <laughs> Fun fact, though. Hymnals weren't introduced into church services until 16th century. So for 1,600 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, people couldn't worship God through song because at God soldier Tom underscore 316 says, hymns are the only way to worship. And even the people who agreed on hymns couldn't agree which hymns. I prefer the greenback. I prefer the redback. Greenback, redback, King James Version only. These are always the loudest ones because they write in all caps, like they're aggressively typing. <laughs> we all know that God and his Hebrew people spoke in their native language, Old English. <laughs> you got one side that's wanting the other side to conform to their opinions and views, and vice versa. And they will fight tooth and nail publicly, and they don't care who sees it. And I thought, my God, Lord Jesus, help us. 
Listen, if I weren't a believer and I read this crap, I would want nothing to do with this. And here's the sad truth. As long as the church is divided and bickering amongst themselves, the church will never reach the potential or the people that God has called us to reach. Period. As long as Christians are working against each other, then nothing will be accomplished for the kingdom. So God is reckless. And start World War III within the church? No thanks. But let's be real here, because love is the common theme among this whole series. In fact, love is the basis of everything that has been spoken on in the series. Couple love with whatever insert all the pastors have touched on it. Listen, this may come as a shock to you, but sometimes I get on my wife's nerves. Okay? And sometimes I don't mean to. And sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's just a Monday and I'm bored, okay? But I love her. If you're frustrating without a basis of love, you're just a jerk. Law without love is tyranny. A father without love is just a name on a birth certificate. Truth without love is ineffective. Love is a huge part of what I'm speaking on today, but there is more to this story. I'm sitting on vacation a few days ago. I already have what I'm speaking on. God is love. I'm good. We're good. Just getting some much needed downtime before we speak. Except God, in frustrating fashion, throws a wrench in my cocks. I'm like, dang it, God, on vacation? Come on. But he gave me a title, and I shared it with my wife. I said, Kels, I feel like God is leading me in a different, different direction, and I have a title for my message. God is grammatically correct. She said, what? <laughs> I said, God is grammatically correct because punctuation is everything. You don't believe me? Let's eat mom. Let's eat, mom. Both are invitations to dinner. Only one is cannibalism. So, and technically, in this case, your mom's life depends on punctuation. So yeah, God is grammatically correct. And here it is. Here's the real title. You ready? You can write it down. God is, comma, therefore you are, period. My wife said, no, please don't do that. That is so dumb. Please, please. You're going down a rabbit hole and nobody's going to want to follow you. I said, boom, confirmation. Because if she hates it, then I know that I have to be on the right track. And I said, I am definitely doing it now. And congratulations. You made it into my sermon because let me tell you something, peeps. Sometimes God will give you a vision. And sometimes God will burst something inside of you that no one else will understand. Even those that are closest to you. Even a spouse will try to talk you out of doing what God wants you to do because they can't understand the big picture. I'll tell you right now, I felt like Noah. I felt like Noah on an impossible mission. Marching onward, Christian soldier. Let me tell you, I felt the strength of the Lord rise up in me. And I looked at my wife dead in her eyes and I said you get thee behind me Satan not today and as for me in my house I will do the Lord's work I woke up the next day out of a medically induced coma in a South Carolina hospital I don't I don't remember how I got there. 
Oh yeah, Kels. Just like Eve tried to persuade Adam to do the opposite of what God told him to do. Hey, speaking of Adam, squirrel. If you guys don't know, is he here right now? No? Adam Paramo? No? He normally comes in the 9 a.m. And I have, I've had the privilege of, of becoming really good friends with him and his wife, Shay. On my way to meet him one day, Harper, my four-year-old, said, Daddy, where are we going? I said, we're going to see Adam from church. She said, oh, I know him. I said, what? How do you know Adam? She said, from Austin's story. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> got it. Okay. But I'm intrigued, so I press on. I said, Harper, what do you remember about that story? She said, I don't remember much. I said, well, just tell me what you remember. She said, okay, just that Adam and Eve were in the garden, and Jesus told them not to eat the fruit, but then they ate the fruit from the tree when they weren't supposed to. And then the purple snake got mad. And so then they got naked, and they hid in the bushes. And then when Jesus came, they were like, hey, we're hiding, and we're naked. So Jesus gave them clothes and sent down an angel to protect the garden. And then he kicked Adam and Eve out, and they weren't allowed to come back, but that's all I remember. I said, what? I mean, like, I was impressed. I mean, I can't, I can't remember what I ate for breakfast. And that's pretty much the gist of the story. Give or take a purple snake and some voluntary nudity. <laughs> and listen, that's the product of Children's Church right there. I'm thankful for the people who serve week in and week out to pour into my child in a way that she not only understands, but she can retain. It's funny, though, because I'm talking about Adam Paramo, but she was talking about Adam, the first man created by God. And we all know the story. God created the heavens and earth and everything in it, and then he created man to rule over it. But I want to highlight one part of this passage and really just kind of focus in on that this morning. Genesis 1, through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish in the sea, over the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When God created man, he created us in his likeness. You checking with me now? God is, comma, therefore you are. You follow me? Man is created in God's image. So let's unpack this for a second. What does it mean to be created in his image? Could be physical. Maybe we took on the physical attributes of God. We walk on two legs. Most of us aren't completely covered in hair. Uh, I mean, it's not far-fetched to think that you know, we might look like a, our creator. Uh, who has a kid here uh, that, that looks just like you? Okay, all right, right? Okay, I was blessed that Harper came out looking like a spitting image of her mama. I'm not kidding. I'm standing in line at a gas station the other day, and a stranger approaches me and says, boy, you're lucky she looks like her mama. <laughs> Listen, Kels wasn't even there. He didn't even know what Kels looked like. All he knew was, she's way too pretty to look like me. What a jerk, right? Walk up to a stranger and be like, bro, you ugly. That's not cool. Don't do that. Don't do that. But listen, Harper looks like Kels 99% of the time. Let's look at that. Look at that. Look at that right there. And 9 a.m., I was like, have you ever seen Maury? Like, not the father? I was like, look at those. Look at those eyes. Look at the eyebrows. You know, I felt like that. So much so that I questioned that if, if I ever had anything to do with her creation in, in, in the first place. But every once in a while, she'll give you this look. And I'm like, okay, 
okay, you're my kid. Like, you're my kid, straight up. Like, it's just like looking into a mirror. I was recently informed by my wife that Harper has a Bob Jr. face. And I, like, upon hearing this, I'm like, that is so sweet. I'm like, that, is, that just warmed my heart until I saw the picture. I'm like, what is that? What is this? I was super offended. I don't make that face. I'm like, what is, okay. All right, man. Okay, maybe I do sometimes. But the point is, the point is, listen, it's not far-fetched to think that creation would resemble its creator, right? In fact, when talking to Pastor Casey about the subject, he brought up a great point. And, and when I asked him, I said, what do, what do you think of when you think about being created in the image of God? And just like Casey does with his out-of-the-box thinking, he brought a different perspective to the table that I, I just hadn't thought of. He says, the answer's in the question, creation. And I'm like, wow, I didn't get it. But, but then he explained it. We as humans are the only ones who have been given the ability to create. We create intelligent conversations like the ones we're having now. We create art, we create music, we create computers, the internet, cars, trains, boats, planes, and taught ourselves how to operate them. We created infrastructures and governments and policies and laws. We create just like our creator. It's a mirrored image. Listen, no matter how you spin it, the image of God, and this is right, is a foundational concept for understanding our significance and purpose. Now, there are a couple implications of being made in God's image that I really want to highlight here, okay? And we'll start with this first one. There are no ordinary people. C.S. Lewis in his book says, in this book, uh, The Way to Glory, says, there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. The people you see every day, even the ones to whom give us, or you give little regard, are the ones that are going to live forever, either through, under salvation or judgment, through legacy or tragedy. We were created to do more than just exist for a period of time and then cease existing. We were created with the intention of impacting others. There are people that are living and no longer living that have affected my life and instilled values that are buried into my memory to this day and that dictate how I live my life. Pastor Ken and Connie, their legacies transcended their time here on earth and those values are still being carried on for generations to come. And that's a beautiful thing. But there's a dark side to it too. See, so many of us remember the words that have been spoken over us that cut deeper than any physical blade ever could. Listening to Tiffany's testimony on Thursday at Celebrate Recovery, she painted a very clear picture of how, to this day, she still struggles with self-esteem issues and how she, how she sees her, like her own worth because of the legacy that her abusers left on her life. Good or bad, all of us are living with the effects of another person's legacy. And listen to this. Good or bad, someone else will live with the effects of your legacy. There are no ordinary people. Your effect on this world, on your family, on the people that you come in contact with, will live on long after you're gone. People may not remember the words that you speak, but they will never forget the way you make them feel. Second implication. Our differences are, are by design. It's not by chance that we have differing opinions and views and, and skills and experiences. It's by design. 
We live in a society where if you don't think the way that I think or do, the thi- do things the way that I do, that, then I'm going to cancel you. Everything that you have ever worked for in your whole life can be stripped from you in an instant because I don't agree with you. And this is the mentality of society right now. I am so intimidated by your differences that I see you as a threat and not an asset. How crazy would it be if everyone in the entire world were geologists? And that's all we knew. Rocks. That's it. How well would a cruise ship work with a staff full of just cooks? No captain, no entertainment, no services. You'd never leave the port. Would we have ever had computers or cars or phones if every person on earth was a writer? Well, we have a great band here, but how would you like it if every person on this stage just played bass? Like, wow, I love that song with only 17 bass parts. It's a banger. Said no one ever. No one has ever said that until just now. And the 9 a.m. service. I said it in the 9 a.m. service too. But how would a body function with only feet? Instead of hands, you have feet. Instead of a heart, you have feet. Instead of a brain, you have feet. Instead of lungs, we have feet. Would it even be a body? Do you see what I'm saying here? Like, can we be a functional society without our differences? No. And it's by design. If we were all creative people, this world would have no organization and probably no indoor plumbing because we procrastinate so much we'd forget to invent it. And if this world were all organized and meticulously planned out, then then we would live a boring life in a boring world with no spontaneity, no passion. And if we didn't have screw-ups like me, then the goody two-shoes wouldn't be better than anybody else and they'd have no purpose in life. (laughs) We can accomplish so much more if we just realize that our differences are God's assets and it's by design. Listen, understanding who we are And what we were created to be is key to the next great awakening. I truly believe that this next great revival that we've been hearing out for all these years, if we can understand who we are and what we were were created to be, that that would come to pass. I truly believe that. And Satan knows it. And that's why since the beginning of time, it's been his mission to alter man's perception of who man is. We know the story. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And the purple snake got mad, and then they got naked and hid in the bushes. We know it. But there is something in the scripture that a lot of us overlook. In fact, it's something that probably the majority of us have missed, even if you've read it a thousand times. Let's look at Genesis 3, 2 through 5. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The, the serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy, guys. But, but where is the lie? They ate the fruit. Did Adam and Eve die? No, not yet. Were their eyes opened? Did they now know right from wrong? I mean, yeah, in a way. I mean, they realized that they were naked and they felt shame. So where's the lie? Because so far the purple snake is batting three for three. Let's read verse five again. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and what? That right there. If you do, you will be like God. That right there, I believe, is the most dangerous statement in this whole passage. If you do, you will be like God. Because Genesis 1.26 clearly states that man was created in the likeness and image of God, right? That means man, both Adam and Eve, were already like God. So listen, if the enemy can get you to think for one second that you are not who God created you to be, that's when it becomes dangerous. If he can make you think that you have to do something or work for your identity, if he can get you to question or doubt your purpose in life, if he can make you forget who you are, then everything else, the rest of his plan, it'll fall into place. The fall of man has often been attributed to disobedience and and an apple. But make no mistake, my friends, the fall of man happened because for one second, Adam and Eve forgot that they were created in the image of the Most High God. If you do, you will be like God. If you do, comma, you will be like God. No. God is, comma, therefore you are, period. So how do we do it? How do we live this life that we were created for? How do we honor the image that we were created in? See, God sent his only son as a reminder of who we were created to be. Jesus was our example. He was sent to earth to show us how to live. And if you follow his journey, then you'll find it so much simpler than any church, any organization, any mosque, any denomination has twisted it to be. What does the image of God look like? A pillar of strength, long-suffering, the law, truth, father, kindness, family, sacrifice. Yes, yes, it does. All of these things. All of these things and more are formed from a foundation of love. So to simplify, it's love. It's as simple as that. The image of God looks like love. So what does love look like? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. So God is love, right? Right? Yes. And we've heard sermons replacing the word love with God. God is patient. God is kind. God is not envy. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. God never fails. But listen, if we mirror God's image and God is love, then we look like love. We look like 1 Corinthians 13. And if we can embrace our identity as the mirrored image of love, then we will see a difference not only in our families, in our own little circles, but with everyone that we meet eyes with will be impacted by the legacy of love that you leave. Jesus was our example of love, and he lived and died by his own words. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 says, You must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is the mission statement here at Watts Park Community Church? Say it loud and proud. Come on. Love God, love people, serve others. Listen, I'm coming to a close. But it's literally as simple as that, guys. How can we accurately represent the image of God? Do that. Love God. Martin Luther said, 
that if he could understand the first two words of the Lord's Prayer as Christ did, then the rest of his life in Christ would fall into place. What are the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. This observation shows us that it's easy to use God's words, but it's much more difficult to grasp the reality that they signify. This is true with regards to the image of God. Most believers have heard of this concept, but very few ever grasp the profound significance of its meaning. The reality is, Jesus knew God as his Father. And he loved God first. And above even his own plans and ambitions. Spoiler alert, listen here. This may come as a shock to you. Jesus did not want to die for you. I don't know why we picture Jesus as this monk-like white guy with surfer hair, never raising his voice, never showing any other emotion than smiling with a slight head tilt while holding a baby lamb and knocking on a door. I mean, y'all remember the pictures at Grandma's house, right? Just thrilled to die a brutal death just for the off chance that someone might accept him and might take the gift of salvation that he's giving us. No, he didn't want to die. He begged God in the garden, Father, if there is any other way, any way at all, please let it happen. But if not, I love you and I trust you. More than my own logic, more than my own feelings, more than my own wants or ambitions, I love you. Can you imagine knowing that this is God's plan for your life, but still being able to trust the Father with your whole heart because you love him? with your whole heart. And the second one is love people. Listen, our worth, our worth is connected to our creator. If God is of great and inestimable worth, then human beings made in his image must be of great value too. All humans. All humans have value and their worth is connected to the creator. What does that mean? Pastor Chris Uh, Pastor Chris Goins said this years ago, and it stuck with me. You will never lock eyes with someone that doesn't matter to God. Never. And there is absolutely no exception to this. None. Jesus said, love your neighbor. You know what that means? It means love your neighbor. And he didn't say, love your neighbor as long as your neighbor loves you back. He said, love your neighbor. He said, love your gay neighbor, your black neighbor, your white neighbor, your Hispanic neighbor, your Asian neighbor, your mean neighbor, your nosy neighbor, your Democrat neighbor, your Republican neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, your atheist neighbor, your racist racist neighbor, your homophobic neighbor, your neighbor, the addict, the neighbor that stole from you, that abused you, that hurt you, the neighbor that did you wrong. The neighbor that disagrees with you. The neighbor that gets on Facebook and slanders your name. The neighbor that lies to you. Listen, right now I want you to think of one person that you cannot stand to be in the same room with for more than five minutes. Think about him right now. I know you're not holier than thou. You already got it in your mind. That neighbor. Love that neighbor. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But love your neighbor, Period. Because punctuation matters. You were created in God's image. 
but so was everyone else. It's human nature to make ourselves the hero of our own story, but in this scenario, it's not all about you, boo-boo. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you, boo-boo. James 3, 9 says, With a tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who, who have been made in the likeness of God. This verse reminds us that how we treat people is an indication of how we value God. How you treat a person is an indication of how you value God. If you walk away with anything from today, please let it be this. Post it, write it on your bathroom mirror, whatever you got to do. How you treat a person is an indication of how you value God. Stand with me across this room. How you treat a person is an indication of how you value God. Listen up, listen up. This includes yourself. Grace paves the way for dignity. We should not focus on our sin for long without also noting God's grace and our own dignity. We are so bad about this, especially as Christians, at minimizing ourselves so much that we actually minimize God in us. If we dwell on the sins of our past or our shortcomings, we are ignoring the worth of the Creator in our own lives. Listen, we are humans. We suck. Recognize it. And then recognize that God's grace is on your life. Paul never mentions the depth of his own sin without also mentioning grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul calls himself the foremost of sinners, but also notes that yet for this reason I found mercy, that in me Christ Jesus might display immense patience. So we can say the same. No matter what we have done, God's grace works in us. And to deny or fail to acknowledge this, this truth, is to say that God's grace is in vain. Listen, it's absolutely right to take time for self-examination, for confession, for repentance. But we should eventually come back to God's grace and our own dignity stemming from being made in the image of God. It's hard to love anyone else when you don't love yourself. When we doubt ourselves, we doubt what God can do through us. And I'm going to stop right there because, because if we can get these two things right, love God, love your neighbor, you're going to want to serve him. You're going to want, you'll want to serve others. You'll want to live for him. You'll want to do right. You'll find yourself caring about others that you normally wouldn't care about. And you'll notice yourself being a little more patient, being a little kinder, spending less time thinking about you and more time thinking about others. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. I'm going to reference a few scenarios here and maybe you fit into all three who knows who knows but maybe you say Pastor Bob I'm guilty of going through the motions I don't have a relationship or or, or I'm not sure if I have a relationship with Christ listen up 
if, if the extent of your Christian walk is warming a church pew and that is it, then you do not have a relationship with God. I don't know of any lasting relationship where one person does nothing to contribute and expects the other person to do everything. No relationship will last long that way. And honestly, maybe that is why the divorce rate in, in church even is over 50%. Because we've adopted this mentality of you do for me, but I'm not gonna lift a finger for you. I love God, but do you love him enough to show up 30 minutes before service and pray with us? Do you love people enough to volunteer in the nursery once a month so that a single mom can get ministered to? Maybe if you're really honest with yourself, you say, Pastor Bob, I don't think I love God as much as I thought I did. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Christ. Maybe church people left a bad taste in your mouth and you never wanted to be a part of it. Hopefully, oh, I pray, hopefully something said this morning can give you a glimpse of how things should be. If either of these are you and you say, I choose today to love God no matter what, whether it be the first time or or to rededicate your life, no one looking around, if that's you, please raise your hand right now. Yes, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Wow. I want, I want the whole church to say this prayer with me. Dear, dear Father, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking of myself. God, I accept you. And I accept myself for who you made me to be. I ask that you come into my heart. Save me. I want to live for you. Jesus name. Amen. Come on. Can you give him some praise? Yes. Wow. There's another group I want to reference. Maybe you say, I have a hard time loving people. Maybe, maybe you're good with most people, but, but you have a hard time loving people who have hurt you or disagree with you or get on your nerves. Maybe, maybe you're prejudiced because of the way that you were taught. Can I tell you something? Racism, homophobia, sexism, it's 100% taught, 100%. Maybe you're just not a people person. Maybe you just like drama. There, there are people that love drama. They just gotta have it, it has to be in their lives. And you say today, I wanna become that mirrored image of God. I want to become that mirrored image of love and I want to make a change today and leave a good lasting impact on those around me. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Yes, all over this room, all over this room. I want to leave a legacy of love. God, I come to you right now and those that raise their hand, Father God, I pray, Lord, that right now you will start, as soon as they leave this place, that you will begin to show them people through your eyes. God, you will show them how to love. You will give them a little more patience, God, so they can can show them your love, God. And I pray that it starts in their family. I pray that it starts with the husbands and it trickles down to the wives and then it trickles down to the kids. And God, and it just starts to flow out of the streets of these houses. And so much so, that so much love is coming from the people in this church that people say, I have to come and find out what's going on here. 
God, I thank you. I thank you and I seal it. I thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. I thank you, God, in Jesus' name. I got one more. Maybe you find it impossible to love yourself. And whether it's because of something that you did or it's something that somebody did to you. And if that's so, you already know what I'm talking about. When you look in the mirror and you hate the person that is staring back at you. Hate that person. And can I tell you that I've been there? I have to stop myself sometimes from falling back into that self-deprecating habit of tearing myself down because I feel so worthless. You've kept yourself from being happy because you feel like you don't deserve to be. Who would love you? You can't even love yourself. It's a lie from the enemy. Caitlin, that's a lie from the enemy. That is a lie from the enemy, people. If that's you, do yourself a favor right now. And if you see any hand, if you see hands, I want children of God, you better go and, and lay your hands on somebody. But if that's you, do yourself a favor right now and raise your hand and receive this prayer right now. Father God, I pray right now that you will show us love. God, let us look at us. Let us look at ourselves through your eyes, God. God, no longer will, I, will my, my vision be clouded when I, I look at myself. No longer, no longer will I allow fear and anxiety to dictate my life because I love me. Some of y'all need to say that. I love me. God, thank you for who you created me to be. And I won't take it for granted. I won't take it for granted. Jesus' name, amen.